Hi, I'm Rob Vilnev, CEO of Rebel.com and Startup Canada Fellow for Culture and Engagement. We all strive to help our customers accomplish what they set out to do without unnecessary barriers. And it's critical to empower your employees in the same way. Our challenge as leaders is to learn to trust our employees with any and all information they may need to get their job done. It can feel scary to share company secrets or really important information, but including your employees and demonstrating a high level of trust can unleash them to do their jobs better. The more we understand about our environments, the better we become at navigating them. The key takeaway here, make your people awesome by giving them every tool they may need and watch the productivity rise as a result. Learn how to get the most of your payments through simple, safe and smart card transactions. Visit MasterYourCard.org forward slash Canada for tips to master small business security. Master your card with MasterCard Canada. Is your startup financially fit? Join 10,000 entrepreneurs across Canada building financial foundations with Intuit QuickBooks. Attend a Startup Foundations workshop online or in a startup community near you and receive a free one-year subscription to QuickBooks Online. Visit www.startupcan.ca forward slash finance today to register. You need to be available when a customer needs to reach you. Business depends on it. Rogers Unison provides the powerful features of a traditional desk phone in a simplified and truly mobile solution. No apps to download and launch. No mobile data usage charges for phone calls. No need to pay for unused landlines or desk phones. And the ability to route incoming calls to whoever's available. No more missed calls. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash unison. paid faster. Create and send professional email invoices in minutes with PayPal. Join over 250,000 Canadian businesses using PayPal to accept payments. Get started today at www.paypal.ca forward slash small business. Disruption, investment, work-life balance delving deep on the topics that matter most for entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to the Startup Canada Podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across the country. With day in the life stories and in their shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale up companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, don't forget to visit the iTunes store to subscribe and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I am your host, Rivers Corbett, founder and CEO of Coaching by Rockstars. Ever thought about a career as a business coach? 
Coaching by Rockstars teaches business coaches how to build a successful coaching business from scratch. Visit coachingbyrockstars.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, all right, back to the beer, where we all like to go in conversations. But in reality, this is a beer with a lot of gusto behind it because it is a great success story. And we're just thrilled to have as our guest today, Steve Boshane. He's the CEO and co-founder of Bo's All Natural Brewing, or of course, Bo's for short. Bo's is a family-run, employee-owned, and totally independent Canadian craft brewery that is seen, get this, 500% growth in the past five years. And since it started in 2006, Bose has won more than 85 national and international awards for beer making, marketing, sustainability, and has raised more than $1 million for charity. Freaking awesome. Steve certified Bose as Canada's first ever B Corp brewery, founded February 1st as International Gruet Day and successfully lobbied to have some of Canada's old beer laws changed to recognize the rights of craft brewers. Today's podcast, we're going to talk to Steve about his journey into the B Corp beerpreneurship. I love it. And how Bose integrates giving back into its business bottle. Steve, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. Hey, thanks for having me. Great stuff. Well, look, let's get back into, uh, well, not get back, start with uh, about your personal journey you've taken to get where you are today as uh, as the CEO of one of Canada's fastest growing breweries. Okay, so personal journey. I guess uh, I grew up uh, kind of as an old school punk rocker. Um, <laughs> never really thought I'd be in a in uh, sort of a, a regular kind of business thing. And, and I'm glad that I'm not. But uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to start up a record label. And I didn't figure I needed to go to music school to do that. I, I figured I needed to, to learn how to, how to you know, run a business. And so I, I ended up uh, going to university uh, to learn business. After that, um, uh, while starting up my record label, I, I bounced around to a, a few different, uh, different startups and different companies at different stages, um, and ended up doing uh, business planning for the Ontario government for f- about five years. And, um, basically, uh, one day my dad said, Hey, uh, the textile business I've been running in Vankley Kill has, uh, is basically lost its last customer. Uh, the whole textile industry in Canada basically just picked up and left one day. And uh, so he kind of stopped me short and I said, uh, well, dad, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, you're going to have to shut, gonna do? shut the exactly. business down. And uh, he said, well, uh, I've got a, a bunch of different ideas, but but one of one of them is uh, I always see you uh, coming home with uh, different craft beers that you've you've found, and and I know you're a home brewer. What would you think if uh, if I were to open up a brewery in Eastern Ontario? And I kind of stopped and thought for a second, and I said, Well, if you're serious, Dad, I'll I'll sell my house and quit my job and uh, fold up the record label, and I'll I'll start a brewery with you. Cool and. Uh, and yeah, we just spent the rest of the day dreaming up this brewery we were going to open. And uh, the next day we kind of sobered up and it still seemed like a good idea. <laughs> so we uh, we just started working on it and uh, it took us two years to get the brewery off the ground. Right. But uh, ever since it's been uh, one heck of a wild ride. 
What did you do for money during that two-year time period when you were getting it off the ground? What, I mean, you got to look after yourself. What did you? How did you? How did you make that happen? Uh, well, I guess a couple things. One is uh, I moved into my parents' house, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, and mom was the only one of us that actually had a real job during that time, so High she was kind of supporting. Mom. Yeah, she was supporting all of us. Um, because I'd been working for the Ontario government, I had a, uh, a newborn child, and mm. uh, I decided to take uh, the paternity leave for the first few months. So I <laughs> had a little bit of income from that, and then I racked up a whole lot of credit card debt. Oh, <laughs> boy. I love it. I love it. So that's yeah. how you that's how you started, and it, it took two years to get from there. So now we're at, based on the uh, the numbers anyway. When you did you actually have your first customer in two thousand and six, or did you is that when you started conceptually to start to build the company? No. So the very first batch of beer was released on July first, two thousand six. So okay. it took us two years to to go through the whole development and and get the first batch to to market. And walk us through that first year. What are some uh, some highlights from that first year? That you know, uh, well, yeah. Tell your story because it, does, it, it, it. I'm sure there's there's things that people are going to say. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. But uh, what's that first? Some highlights. The top two highlights from that year. In the first year, I think the the first batch is uh, is is quite. Uh quite strong in my memory. Uh, we'd been working towards uh, a startup. We, we originally were hoping to launch in time for Victoria Day or May 2-4. Um, and uh, we had a, a series of, of setbacks. And so it turned out it wasn't going to happen until you know, July. So we went ahead and got all of our... Um, you know, our press release ready and our initial marketing and told all the, the restaurants to be ready for our beer. And then we had a couple more delays and we were right down to the wire where it, it was like the day that we could pull the beer out of the fermenter was the first day that we promised to have this beer. And we had this, you know, um, press conference set up and CTV was going to be there and ah, cool. all the, all the, all the newspapers were going to be there and it was going to be this big thing. And, uh, and then the, the day of the filtration was going slower than expected and getting the beer into the kegs was slower than expected. So we were sitting there at, uh, at the pub, uh, waiting for this very first keg of beer. And, uh, uh, Jamie, who's, uh, now our, our sales manager, but at the time was our, you know, one of our first two sales reps was, you know, bolting up the road as fast as he could with this keg. And he finally gets it put on, uh, hooks it up to the draft equipment. We pour the first pint, and literally, my first taste of of our beer was was on camera. And, ah, wild! You know, we yeah, and you can imagine we'd done test batches with our our pilot system, but this was our first commercial batch. And when I took that first sip, it was very apparent to me that the beer tasted absolutely nothing like it was supposed to. <laughs> uh, so back at the brewery, Matt, our brewmaster, was figuring out what was actually going on. And, and what, what had happened was when the installers put in the, um, the solenoids, which uh, control the temperature in the tanks, yes. they, they must have put one of them in backwards. So part of the tank, when it was supposed to be saying, hey, it's cold enough, kept saying, yeah, send more cooling fluid. So we ended up freezing a third of the batch of beer. Oh, my goodness. And... Um, you wouldn't imagine, but what what happens when you freeze a third of the beer is you freeze a, 
all the water. Right. And what you're left with is this super concentrated, uh, big, bold, alcoholic beer. And so that first sip I had was not the um, crisp, refreshing, uh, <laughs> uh, subtly complex beer that uh, that most people who have tried Lug Tread would, would know. It was this big, uh, aggressive, still delicious, uh, but but completely different beer. And so this is all happening on camera. Of course. And, uh, you know, it was just this, this look of shock on my face. And, you know, we went through the the press conference and uh, afterwards we found out what, what had happened. And we're kind of left with this dilemma. Do we sell this beer? It, it still tastes really good, but we will kind of have to admit to people that it's not what we expected. And uh, we ended up deciding, you know, the right thing to do was not just to, to sell the beer, but to sell the, sell the beer and let people know what had happened. Mm. Because one, the beer was delicious, and two, it was an interesting story. Right, and, right. And uh, some people in Ottawa uh, really liked that, and other people in Ottawa really didn't like it. So we, we started off, you know, our very first batch of beer, and we've got all these critics already <laughs> slamming us on uh, bar towel and right beer and all these, these oh big forums God, for... For, for brewers and so we, we had this crisis moment uh already you know and we're we're two days old um and so we didn't know at first what to do with this we we still felt strongly that the the beer was good um but we also recognized that you know it was different than what we'd intended so we made up all these little flyers almost like you'd expect to see a kid at a at a music concert handing out but instead of advertising the next uh next concert it was uh, hey, try our beer. It's not, it's absolutely not what we expected, but it's still pretty tasty. <laughs> nice. And uh, and that started winning people over. And what we ended up doing is we took the very last keg of that batch and we brought it to at the time Ontario's biggest uh, biggest award ceremony, which is called the Golden Tap Awards in Toronto. And we brought this keg down and we brought down these flyers that explained what what had gone wrong and why we still thought it was a tasty beer. And uh, at the end of the the night, they announced the winner for the best beer at the festival. And guess what? Uh, We won. So we went from criticized harshly for that first batch to being award winning on our first batch of beer. And uh, that really changed uh, the dynamics for us uh, in an incredible way. Suddenly we had credibility. Suddenly uh, people, you know, were interested in who we were. And that really started the, the ball moving for us. And I think that, you know, that very first batch of beer was such a, such a watershed moment for us mm. that, uh, you know, it's, uh, if you're looking for a dramatic way to start your business, uh, <laughs> screw something up entirely the first time around. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you keep going, right? That's the key. You keep going, you adjust, you pivot, you be flexible and so on. And, uh, and, uh, I think it's just a, it's a great testament to, uh, to that perseverance. I mean, you didn't intend to have it that way. And the other thing that happened in that, that process, and I'm sure you you realize it, but what came out of this conversation is it actually humanized your company, and that it really made a connection that hey, these guys and gals are they're just just a bunch of business people trying to do a good product, and they're being honest. And I think that probably at the end of the day, even though the critics were there, I think escalated you a lot faster than you might have give give yourself credit for because of that, uh, that you know falling on your sword. And it was still good too. That was key. It still had to be good. Yeah, so, absolutely. Cool. And, so, uh, it, you know, so kind of having ahead. those, 
having those relationships uh, with our customers is, as you mentioned, uh, been one of the things that's really, really separated us from other breweries. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, we really go out of our way to, to make time for, for the people that drink our beer, whether they've got wonderful things to say or, or less so wonderful things to say. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's all about relationships. And so can you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that piece now. And, uh, for everybody on this call, I told Steve before we get started, yes, there's a script, but I might go off uh, target on it. And, th- <laughs> and you're going to get one of those questions right now, early in the conversation. Talk to me about that, that relationship strategy you have, because it's, it's a compassion competitive competitive world that you're that you're in you've been very successful with it but ultimately gets down to key relationships and I'll say not with the not with the necessarily end consumer but with the restaurants I'm interested in how you uh, you you know those distributors of your product how do you approach a strategy a relationship strategy with them yeah it's a, it's a great question and and I almost think that uh, there's not much of a difference between the way we look at our end consumer and the way we look at our, yeah. our restaurant partners uh, because it's all people and uh, you know when we work when we work with a restaurant um, obviously you know we we truly believe we've got a wonderful beer um, and and we know that people like it and it's going to it's going to move at the restaurant and that's that's huge but a lot of the a lot of the at the end of the day, the decision which beer to keep on tap and which one which one to take off does relate back to the relationship that you have uh, with the company. Mm. And so uh, we do put a lot of time and effort uh, making sure that um, our our sales representatives uh, treat our customers like gold. If they need beer, they get beer. If they've got an issue, we solve the issue. Um, and we don't, we don't just draw the line at, you know, our beer. Um, I've got so many stories where one of our sales reps goes into a restaurant and you can see the, the manager, or one of the staff just kind of pulling their hair out and you say, well, what's going wrong? And, and they say, oh, your beer is pouring fine, but, uh, these, these three taps aren't working and I can't figure it out. And so, our reps will then go fix another brewery's draft line for the restaurant uh, just to, to make sure that the restaurant is doing what they do best, which is, you know, pleasing their customers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's easy to say you got to treat the customer as like a king, but, you know, it's when, you, when it comes down to the, the sort of the specific uh, issues that arise – Treating them like a friend is, is I think, the, the most important thing. What, you know, you wouldn't say to your friend, oh, you didn't buy, you know, you, your, uh, your tires from, from my shop, so I'm not going to help you with your flat tire. They got a mm. flat tire, you got to help them. And uh, we do the same thing with, with our restaurants. We also do a lot of things like, um, you know, we don't change the price of our beer for smaller keg sizes. A lot of breweries will, will charge a premium for that. Uh, we want our customers ordering the right amount of beer, not the amount of beer that's going to get them a, a big discount. So, mm-hmm. uh, so if if you're only going to go through twenty liters a week, let's let's get you set up with a twenty liter keg so that mm. our customers our end customers are getting the best beer and their customers are getting the best possible beer. Yeah, love it. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it too is uh, you need to have a, 
a real relationship all the way through the company. And I, I think that's one of the things that separates craft beer in particular from uh, from sort of macro beer is if you really love, uh, um, you know, a, a large brewery beer, you can't call up a Mr. Molson or a Mr. Labatt and say, hey, I want to talk about beer with you. Uh, but you can actually call Bose and, and talk to Steve. Um, you know, I just talked, I just referred to myself in the third person. That was weird. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever done that before and and I don't ever want to do that again. Um, But you, you can call me up and have a conversation with me and you can talk to our brewmaster if you want to talk, you know, really, really nitty gritty about the beer. You can come right to the brewery and get a tour and um, that relationship with the brewery. And that's the same whether you're, you know, someone that just goes to the LCBO and buys a bottle or whether you're a restaurant. We had uh, we had a restaurant uh, bring 20 other staff through um, last week. And I took, you know, an hour, an hour out of my day uh, to walk all their staff through the brewery and give them a tour uh, because that's what it means uh, to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I still sign a Christmas card to every single one of our accounts. Um, Very cool. And, and I've always said, you know, the year that, we've got too many restaurant accounts for me to sign a Christmas card for each one is the year that we've gotten too big. Mm, mm. There's a great book. uh, You might be interested in reading. I read it. I'm going to say about four years ago, but it talks about small giants, companies that have had purposely chosen to not be a, you know, a global empire, but to really continue to grow from within organically and bit by bit build a foundation and, and, it, and very successful companies making good money, helping a lot of customers it might be a book that uh, would resonate with you and your team, because that sounds to me like you're becoming is a, is definitely a small giant. Can you yeah, tell it me? Sounds really, sorry, excuse I was going to say it, it sounds really interesting. And the, uh, the, the concept of growth comes up a lot in craft beer because a lot of customers want their craft breweries to never grow. And mm. you're, you're only sort of special if you're so small that no one can ever find your beer in, in, in some people's eyes. And that's uh, it's one of the things that we've, we've really focused on is we don't grow for the sake of growing. Growing is not the goal. Yeah. Uh, but what we find is when we do the right thing for the right reason, uh, we tend to be rewarded with growth. And so I find that growth is the symptom of making good decisions of, you know, and decisions that are for our customers. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been able to grow. We're still not huge by any means, but we, we've been able to grow fairly quickly um, without customers kind of pointing and saying, oh, I remember when they used to be cool because mm. we still treat our customers the same way. We still treat the way we make our beer the same way. Uh, we haven't sacrificed who we are uh, for this, you know, God of growth. Mm. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's you know, uh, very core to our identity. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and one of the uh, questions on the on the script was the strategies you use to stand out, and I think we just uh, we just really really uh, dove into that. So, so, so take me through a um, a day in your life, and uh, you know, you can you can talk about what I'm interested in is in a little bit of personal Steve and a little bit of uh, business Steve about how you kind of uh, plan your day or your week? How does that all come together in a way that you say, okay, I've got it under control. 
as best as you can, I guess. <laughs> Have it under control. <laughs> control. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah control. I know I'm, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm saying, what an asshole to say that. <laughs> but you know, um, you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I tend to get up pretty early. I'm usually up around four or five in the morning. Ah, okay. Yep. Um, and, uh, what I try to do is, is I combine catching up with my, my emails with my exercise. So I, I've, I've got a recumbent bike because you can just sit like you're sitting on it, but mm-hmm. then you pedal away. So I'll, I'll usually spend about an hour on the, on the bike, uh, then kind of get myself ready to go. Um, get the kids to, to school, then, uh, I, I usually check in first with my assistant uh, who lets me know kind of if there's been any changes to, to my schedule or any uh, any sort of major things that have, have come up that need, need my attention. And I, fi- I, take um, it you're no, I take it you're no longer living in mom and dad's house. No, I got to move out. Good man. Good man. I'm a big boy now. I'm a big boy now. <laughs> Love it. Um, that was actually that was that was quite the humbling experience being uh, 30 and moving back home with with mom and dad. But yeah, how uh, do you think you know, they it was felt? all for a good cause? Oh yeah, I'm sure it was worse for them than it was for yeah. me. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So once I've checked in with with staff. Uh, from there, it really it's going to depend on on the day and the circumstances, but I spend a lot of my time, I'd say half my time is meeting internally with, uh, with the, you know, different departments in in the brewery, whether that's the, you know, the brewing team, the marketing team, the sales team, uh, administrative stuff. Um, that's, that's, if you break it down the whole week, that's probably half my week. Uh And then the other half of the week is, is quite often, um, you know, business development kind of thing. So whether that's working on a a new project or uh, meeting with, uh, with accounts or going out to events and and being present with our, Mm -hmm. uh, with our customers. um, That's, that's kind of where, where sort of the, the hours tend to go. Mm. Um, I really, I don't spend a lot of time in front of my computer during the day. So that's, that's why it's so important that I, I get that done kind of in that, yeah. four to six kind of kind of timeline because I, I really don't don't sit in front of a computer at, at all um, then quite often um, so I, I try to keep Mondays and Tuesdays and every other weekend for for family stuff okay uh, and and I try my best to kind of keep that sacred and then Wednesday Thursday and then every second weekend is is work so right. Uh, you know, that'll be again, going out to visit accounts at night or being at a festival or, uh, kind of, you name it. Um, lots of travel, uh, we're now selling across Canada. So lots of travel to, to different places to, you know, be present and, and actually see how things are, are, are actually going, uh, as opposed to just, you know, reading reports about it. Um, and then lots of lots of time spent uh, either with customers or with um, you know sort of potential new partners and and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's you know kind of trying to pick out a a typical day. There's parts that seem typical, and then a lot of it. You know, one day it's okay. What are we gonna do with this new project? Or another day it's it's something else. 
Um, right now we, we've been going through, it's, it's our year end is, is, uh, January 31st. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing a lot of strategy sessions over the last, uh, last month. And, uh, that, you know, tends to be a big part of, of what I do during sort of the, this time of year, you move into spring and it tends to be all about, you know, the, the festivals cause everyone wants to see what's new and exciting for the mm. year. Summer is usually about uh, getting beer out the door because keeping up with sales can be uh, a a real challenge. So it's, you know, really being at the brewery and and making sure that that we get the beer out the door. Mm. Fall, we've got our Oktoberfest and that's that's a beast all to itself. And then uh, we're right back into uh, planning again. And you've got the Rwanda Craft Brewery Brewery Project also, on top of all that stuff that you just kind of do on a weekly basis. This is just quite magical. Can you tell us about that project? Yeah. So uh, we we turned ten uh, last July, and as we were approaching our tenth birthday, we were asking ourselves what we were going to do to to celebrate to start with and and I guess I, I said to the team we we can't take this moment to pat ourselves on the back uh, for a good 10 years what we need to do is take this as a, a moment in time to define who we want to be for the next 10 years and how we want to be remembered a hundred years from now Wow and that got us really talking about values and we talked about the things that we've been doing that we really liked and wanted to do more of. We also talked about things that, you know, we hadn't really uh, done as much as we would have liked to. And one of the things that came up on that side was, you know, we've, we've done a lot to support local community, uh, local, uh, you know, charities, uh, social projects. Uh, we haven't done a lot in the global community. And so we said, let's let's try to find something we can do in the global community that relates back to who we are and what we're about, uh, but that will also be a real legacy uh, piece for us. And so we were looking for something like that. And at the same time, an organization called the CG Group was uh, doing a program uh, for women entrepreneurship in Rwanda. And they found uh, an entrepreneur named uh, Josephine Uaniza, and uh, she wanted to open a craft brewery. Love it. So the CG group approached the Ontario Craft Brewers and said, uh, would you have interest in, in helping this, this woman entrepreneur get a, a brewery off the ground? And then the Ontario Craft Brewers Association said, well, it's not really in our mandate. We, we, we're really focused on on craft beer in Ontario, but because I sit on the board, um, I saw the file and I asked uh, for permission to to approach them on my own, and so they said that was okay. And then we started talking first with CG Group, and then with Josephine, um, who we call Fina, um, <laughs> j- just just so that when I accidentally skip back and forth, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, and by the um, way, you just did a, you just did a third person again, by the way. But only for no, her this time. <laughs> no, I didn't. Did I? Yeah, we, we oh, call her Fiend. That's all. <laughs> we is not third person. It's uh, a collective it? third person. That's, no, I'm that's the collective. Her. All right, we're okay. gonna have a battle, a grammar battle, right here on the podcast. Exactly. Man. <laughs> Love it. I'm okay. I'm okay to say we. I'm just not gonna say Steve. Okay, cool. All right, but back so anyways, to the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we. Uh, <laughs> we started talking to her and uh, 
the more we talked, the more we kind of one fell in love with the the idea, and two fell in love with uh, with with Fina as as a person. Mm. Um, Rwanda's you know obviously had. Uh, you know, very, very significant tragedy. Um, but they've done a great job of building hope uh, coming out of that. And they've made a lot of the the sort of the de- economic development hinge on uh, empowerment for women. Uh, after the genocide, uh, their population was 70% female uh, because all the men got killed. So uh, so they, they recognized that they needed, if they were going to climb out of the the hole they were in, cause they, they were left with nothing, mm. uh, that they had to really, really focus on empowering, uh, women. And, you know, 25 years later, they've got, uh, I think something like 60% of their elected politicians are women. They've got, uh, women entrepreneurship, uh, right right in the heart of their, their sort of DNA. Um, they've got things like growers co-ops that, uh, hire women, uh, but then also provide healthcare and education for their families and what they're doing. It's not like they're, they're saying, you know, there's no work left for men, uh, but they're giving a part of the population that, that didn't have a voice and didn't have the same rights, didn't have the same opportunities, an equal voice. And by doing that, they're, they're finding that they're lifting entire families out of poverty. Wow. So where we come in with this is uh, by opening a craft brewery in Rwanda, it will help one be an example for women entrepreneurship, but we're going to use all local ingredients. And that will allow us to then not just hire the probably 10 to 15 people who will be at the brewery, but it will employ uh, dozens, if not hundreds of women and their families to, to actually grow and harvest the, the raw materials. And our role in this, we're helping FINA uh, to raise the money to, to get it off the ground. We're providing skills training, uh, networks, um, uh, know-how, and we're going to help her build this brewery. And then we're going to basically say, this is now yours. We're not taking any profits from it. We're not taking any ownership from it. We're going to walk away and we'll obviously stay as a, as a resource for, for FINA in the long term. But we're, we're basically going to say, we did this for you um, and and it's for you. We're not going to take anything from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's uh, it's been a very very powerful project already. Uh, the brewery probably won't be open till summer of 2018, but uh, you know the impact this is having for our employees, for our fans, um, and for our knowledge uh, base has been pretty incredible. Um, getting to learn different techniques of brewing using different raw materials, uh, different uh, regulatory environments, different uh, different cultures has really opened up uh, our eyes to um, just different ways of doing things. And I, while I said we're not taking anything out of it, I really feel like we're, we're getting more than, uh, than Fina just by, by sort of uh, being able to do this uh, for her. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time where we need to take a very quick break, but we will be right back with more from our amazing guests. Stay tuned. Canadian-born business One by Sun creates and sells a unique collection of printed yoga mats, tote bags, pouches, and prints 
from original hand-painted designs to customers across Canada, the United States, and Australia. When their products are out for delivery, it's important for their customers to have total visibility to ensure their packages are delivered on time, no matter where their customer is located. UPS Canada helps customers track their shipments 24 hours a day, seven days a week, while co-owners Evangelina and Jamal can focus on growing their business. Join the UPS Small Business Program to get support on your unique supply chain needs. Plus, save 40% off shipping. Visit ups.com forward slash my business. Scotiabank understands what's involved when businesses first open their doors and the support that's needed to keep them open. They are helping customers respond to the speed of business, making it easier for entrepreneurs to open their accounts and apply for business loans online in minutes. To learn more, visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business. Thank you to our sponsors, and we are back. I'm curious in this journey, and, and by the way, I don't want to talk also about the fact that you, uh, at that 10th birthday, you also sold your company to your employees, and I, I'm curious about what you thought about that, what you think about that now. But just getting back to the uh, the FINA project, the Rwanda Craft Brewery project, um, how does how do you how do you approach this this uh, PR balance and act between telling this story because it's a good freaking story and other people who say, oh yeah, you're just trying to take advantage of this from a uh, PR economic perspective on the backs of somebody in Rwanda. Did you, have you run across that at all? Or did you think about that going into it? You know, about how do you tell that story? Because it needs to be told, but then there's always those freaking critics that come at you and, you know. Well, I, I think the critics are a good thing because they they keep us from greenwashing, and I and I I, I think they also keep us keep us honest, right? Um, and if it weren't for critics that would point to us for for being exploitative, you could have you could have examples where, and there are lots of examples where companies have done a tiny little bit of good and then exploited the the hell out of it. Mm. Um, we're telling the story because we need to ha- to raise the the funds to do this. We the whole project's going to cost about a million dollars. Um, and while we'd love to to write a check for a, a million dollars, we we don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we tell the story to help raise the funds uh, to do this. Mm. And and I I think it's also important to recognize that yeah we we are doing this because we want a legacy of of helping mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So if we don't tell people that we did this then we don't have that legacy. Mm. Uh, I think I think storytelling is a very important uh part of any culture whether it's a business or a community. Mm-hmm. Um you, if you don't uh record and celebrate the good things that you do uh you don't set an example yeah so for us what we focused on was making sure that what we were doing was actually helpful um you know it would have been really easy to write fina a check for mm-hmm. you know we raised a hundred thousand dollars in the uh in our in a fundraising program for a Kickstarter program. And it would be really easy to write her a check for that and said, okay, now go make this brewery happen. We've done our part and walked away. We could have had all this great press and just hope that people forget about it. Um, and likely she would have failed. Uh, 
we're taking a very long-term perspective with this Mm -hmm. and we're committed to getting a brewery off the ground in Rwanda. And this brewery will not just provide employment to FINA and be symbolically important. It will provide a better quality of life for dozens, if not hundreds of people. Right. And, uh, there's lots of critics who have said lots of different things. Well, why would you why would you have a, a brewery in somewhere in Africa? Shouldn't shouldn't you be focusing on clean water? Right. And to that I say, well, Africa's not one place. It's an entire continent. Rwanda has twice the rainfall as California. California's supporting five hundred breweries. Clearly they can support one. But on top of that, we've also thought about that and we're hoping that we can provide clean source of high quality brewer quality water to local people. Well, that's a side benefit of having the brewery there. There's all sorts of good that comes out of having a brewery there. Um, but if we hadn't thought, oh, what are, what are critics going to ask us? We probably wouldn't have thought about all the extra things that we can do with this project. And so to me, the, the critics out there are really important, uh, part of, of this because, you know, I've been in that critic role where I've seen a company, you know, do something very, very minor and quite often because government forced them to, and then they turn around and and put a million dollar ad, ad campaign around how good they are for doing it. And it's like, no, you're, you're just exploiting an opportunity. Yeah. So, so a true balancing act for all the right reasons. And, um, and I think it's really cool how you've thought it through and congratulations on that. So let's, let's go to the, you sold your company to your employees, presumably, again, based on my script, the, uh, on your 10th birthday. So you did two of these things. So can you talk to us about the, the selling of your company to your employees and what that's, what's that's meant for the company since Sure. Then? Sure. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, for our 10th birthday, we, we actually did a whole pile of different things. Um, these two, though, are, are the real capstones of it. The, uh, the Rwanda project and then the other one that was, was really, really big was, was moving to uh, employee ownership. So the from a, a legal technical side, the the program that we are running is an employee share ownership program, quite often referred to as an ESOP. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it basically is... Uh, is we started the brewery off, um, obviously not with enough money to, to get the thing off the ground. And so friends and family put some, some money into the company. And uh, over the last 10 years, they've seen uh, on paper the value of, of their investment go up dramatically. But because we're growing quickly, we're not issuing dividends and things like that. So they're not actually seeing any, any actual cash. Right. Some of these friends and family members, they're getting into their 70s and they're they're starting to say, hey, is, is there any way to ever get any money out of this thing? And uh, so what we've done with this uh, with this ESOP program is we've said, OK, the hardest part of getting your money out of a private business is is finding buyers. And and from our perspective as a brewery, we don't want just anybody as, as an owner here. So we don't even, we're not even going to let you just, just sell to anyone. Cause you know, we, we just, we we're very, very, uh, fiercely independent. Right. So, so what we said is let's set up this model where, uh, over time, 
our employees can buy your shares. And so the way the the process works is first we went to uh, an independent third-party valuator. Uh, They decided what the value of the company was based on revenues and profit and everything else, debt load, a big, big long report. And it came up with, you know, this is how much uh, the company's worth. And we said to the investors, uh, this is how much your shares are now worth. How much would you like to sell? And the investors that wanted to sell said, okay, this much. And then we turned to the employees and said, okay, we now have this many shares available. How, how much would you like to buy? And then we basically, we act as the intermediary to just match it up. And then this process repeats every year so that over time, the goal is that 100% of the shares that are out there will be owned by people who are actively engaged in the company. And so what this does for me and... Yeah, what this does for for me and dad is we now have a a guaranteed exit plan where I'm, you know, I'm obviously not going anywhere for a long time. uh, So I'm not stepping down or 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 selling my shares at the moment, but I've got a, a plan in place for this. From our employees' perspective, this is huge because they're no longer just working for a paycheck and they're not just working because they like the the values Mm -hmm. of the company. They're now part owners with us and every decision they make is now through a lens of, I'm an owner here. Uh I I want to see this company do as well as humanly possible because I'm going to be one of the ones that really benefits from it. And uh, I, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, making this transition was really um, living up to a promise that we, we'd made. And obviously we didn't promise our employees they'd all get ownership of the company. But when we hired people, we, we always said, you know, we're a friends and family company. We're going to treat you as if you're just as important as any family member. We're going to treat you like you're part of the ownership team. Mm. And so in turning 10, we said you know what, we're not going to, we're no longer going to treat you like your owners. We're going to make you owners. Mm. And, uh, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, we didn't have to do. Uh, but I think it was, again, it was the right thing to do, uh, to protect our independence, um, to protect our legacy as a company. Uh, but most importantly to, give to our employees um, the opportunity to succeed along with us. And Did the other really interesting, Oh, sorry. sorry. What, yeah. What I'm curious about, and, and you're going to say the other thing in, in a sec, but I'm curious, did you tell them this ahead of time? This was good. Did you kind of, did they kind of let the the secret out of the, the hat or, or was it just at, at the party that, Oh, by the way, you're going to become owners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, it was an interesting thing because to me, the the most important thing was I didn't want to do something really good for our employees and then have them find out because they read something on Facebook or yeah. read a press release. To me, it was so important that they heard from me and dad directly mm. uh, that that we had to do this kind of cloak and daggers thing while we worked on the project. Uh, you know, we had to keep a very, very tight lid on things and only, a you know, maybe five people in the company knew what was going on and they knew because we, they had to know. And so what we did is, uh, once once we realized, okay, the only way to do this is we have to bring everybody in one room all at once. And we kind of said, well, we might as well have some fun with this too. So, you know, we kind of sent out this, you know, this, this company wide email saying, okay, it's, 
you know, absolute mandatory meeting at this uh, repertoire theater in Ottawa. Um, you know, we bust in the people that, that kind of are, are, you know, from Toronto or further away and, uh, got everybody to, to the brewery or not to the brewery, to the, this theater. When they walked in, they had to sign out their sign over their phones so that they couldn't record anything. <laughs> we literally, we, we asked our, um, our, uh, accounting firm to, to send, send a few folks in suits to kind of yes. get people really worried <laughs> because none of us obviously wear suits ever. <laughs> and, uh, and so all, all, all the staffs coming in and and they're seeing you know these folks wearing suits they're you know they've not been told why they're they're meeting like this the tension was pretty high I and bet. so dad and I walked in and we started off by saying you know when we started this brewery we never thought we'd ever sell out to anyone uh, but the world's changed and there's all this global consolidation. We've got to protect our legacy. We've got to, you know, make sure that uh, our employees are taken care of. And so we've had no choice. We had to sell the brewery and everyone just kind of gasps and you can see them all white yeah, knuckled I and I love it. And like, and then, so the next line is, so I'd like to introduce you to your new ownership team. Uh, Bose is now owned by, and we found the goofiest picture of one of our employees we could possibly find. Uh, nice. His name is uh, is Todd, but we call him Rod Gilbank for reasons I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> but so on the screen behind us, on the movie screen, we had his goofiest picture flash up on the screen. <laughs> and we said, Bose is now owned by Rod Gilbank. And everyone laughed and they're like, okay, this has just been a joke. But then we said, oh, and this person and their picture showed up and this person and their picture. And suddenly people started realizing, oh, we get to own this. We're the owners of this. And uh, you just saw like everybody's just, you know, just jump for joy and people were crying and it was just Uh, an incredibly emotional event. And uh, luckily we, we, we thought, thought enough to to actually have a, a couple video cameras there. So we were able to record it. And then mm. we were able to sort of share that with our fans because that was the other thing I was going to say is, you know, the, the other reason for, for staying independent is, you know, when we first opened up, uh, was right after uh, Creamore got uh, purchased by Molson. And every restaurant we went to, every person we talked to said, I'm so glad that you guys exist because I needed to find an independent brewery to buy beer from now. Wow. And please, please, please don't ever sell to a major brewery. And the way I look at it is our success, the success of Bose, it has a lot more to do with the support that we've been given by people who drink our beer than it has to do with what we've done. You know, they're the ones that put money into our bank account every week. They're the ones that believe in us and they've only ever asked us to do one thing and that is to stay independent. So, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to say, Oh yeah, we'll never sell out. We'll never sell it. But why are people going to believe that? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's going to protect the company two generations from now uh, mm. from being bought out. And so to me, this idea of turning the stewardship over to the people that live and work in the brewery every day is the safest way to protect the the company uh, and, and to hold true to the promise we made to our customers, which is to stay independent. Now, wow. obviously there is still trust because, you know, 
mm-hmm. 30 years from now, some big brewery could come and offer a great package mm-hmm. to, to our employees. Yeah. But this is again, where the storytelling and the culture is so important is if employees know 30 years from now that the reason they own shares in the brewery is because mm. the stewardship of the brewery was entrusted to them to stay true to our customers, I believe they'll never sell. And wow. uh, to me, it's, it is, you know, it does require a leap of faith, but people that work at the brewery are going to care a lot more about the legacy of the brewery than someone that's just invested in because they're looking for, you know, a return for their, uh, for their retirement. Steve Beauchene, this has been an incredible, incredible journey. And just so the audience knows, I've got like six other questions, but unfortunately we're dealing with entrepreneurs <laughs> and their attention span won't last for another six questions. So we're going to have to have you back on again. But I do have one last question for you because I know everybody's at, uh, wondering about it. Are you still link- listening to punk rock? Absolutely. I actually play in a punk rock band. At a point. You can look. You can look us up. We're called Audio Visceral. Uh, yes. We just played in Montreal last weekend, and uh, we got some shows. Uh, we, we just got signed to uh, uh, Sudden Death Records, which is the record label owned by uh, DOA, Canada's original hardcore band. And uh, yeah, um, it's interesting. The first five of years course. of the brewery, uh, first five years, there's there's no way I could spend even five minutes, uh, you know, even listening to music, but. Uh, you know, as the brewery's grown, I've I've found a way to uh, to fit a little bit of music back into my life, yes. and I have to say I appreciate it so much more now that it's a hobby than when I was trying to make it my living. Uh, yeah, because I bet it's, you do. Uh, there's not a lot of money in music, and there's not a lot of respect for for musicians anymore. Uh, but when you're just doing it as a hobby, you don't care yeah. if you don't get paid. You don't care. Yeah. If you know, only five people show up. I mean, you care, but not the same yeah. way. And yeah, you're doing it yeah. just because you love it. Well, you obviously love being in the in the craft brewery business, and the, congratulations on your journey. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation for all kinds of reasons. Uh, a few of them been that you've taken me on a journey of uh, exploration and discovery that uh, we haven't had on our podcast show to date. So keep on happening. And uh, before you go, what's the what's the um, uh, the URL? What's your website address for our folks to hang out with you? Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you asked that because we spent this whole time talking and I didn't get to talk about the beer at all, which is the most <laughs> important part. Yes. Uh, so the uh, the website's www.bows, which is spelled B-E-A-U-S dot C-A. And uh, there you can actually hear about the wonderful beer that we make. Yeah, and I'm sure it is wonderful. And can you get it? I'm, I'm located in Eastern Canada. Can you get it in Eastern Canada? Yeah, uh, we again as part of our tenth anniversary, we started uh, launching into other provinces across the country. So we're we're pretty much uh, all the way from Newfoundland to BC right now. Uh, that's very cool. My buddy locally here runs the largest uh, craft brewery uh, festival every year. So I'll uh, have to make sure you two you two connect because he he does a great Is that job. The Seaport? No, it's or actually the his name's New Brunswick like one. The, F- the Fredericton Craft Brew Festival. Fred- oh, the Fredericton one. Oh, very yeah, cool. The Fred- yeah, sold out this year within five minutes. Unbelievable how that guy's built that up. So, uh, so yeah, very we should cool. make a connection for, for sure. Thank you so much, Steve, wonderful. for your time. Keep on happening, and um, we'll look forward to uh, continuing to follow your journeys. Awesome. Thanks, Rivers. 
Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to more awesome entrepreneur content? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats and hashtag startup school, which you can catch every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Michael Cayley, founder and CEO of Seedling Capital Services, Inc., and you're listening to the Startup Canada podcast. It's the one thing that the golden nugget that was going to pretty well ensure they'll be successful if they follow it. It's hard. <laughs> yes, sir. It's, <laughs> or you mean the hard. question's hard? <laughs> no, no, it, no. The question's dead simple. Like it, it's hard. The biggest learning is, is that you know anything worthwhile is hard to do. Mm. I get it. You know, it's hard. It's hard to get up in the morning and get on a plane at six o'clock, right? It, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to you know stay up late and and be writing emails at one o'clock in the morning. It's hard to uh, you know. I, when, you know, I did this program out, out, out west before heading out to China, and one of the things in terms of cultural uh, awareness that they, that they taught us was this tolerance for ambiguity. Mm. And, uh, and really, if you're going to embark <laughs> upon a startup journey, that's, that's a core uh, a skill that you've got to bring to the table. And you have to really, uh, you know, what's the alternative? Like the alternative today uh, is, you know, you know, that like we're trying to teach our kids, uh, how to, to, to be prepared for jobs that don't exist. Right. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying, if you take a technical degree today, right. And it's a three-year degree. I mean, the amount of technical information has expanded by twice by the time you're in your, the end of your second year. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So, you know, so, so it's hard. I get it. You know, you need to have a, a, a an idea that adds value to other people. That's the second thing. You really have to have something, and and you got to be focused on on creating value for other people. And it's that passion and that and that idea that's going to get you through the hardness, right? It's going to get you through, get you up in the morning. It's going to get you through every all the grind, you know, of of uh, uh, and the uncertainness of of doing your startup. So. I guess that's it. I mean, that's my biggest that's, learning. It's no, not that's easy. That's a good it. That's a good it. And I, it's it's real, it's raw, and it's honest and uh, brilliantly said. Um, and with all your successes, I think, I, I again, I love the the rawness of it because people many times think, oh, it's it's all easy and uh, you snap your fingers and away you go. But it's just the opposite. But it can be a lot of fun along the way also. And I think that's the good mixture in there for sure. 